Welcome to the Harrison Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Brian Herring. It's our prayer. This message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, we're glad you're here today. We've uh, going to start a new series today. We're going to start, t- we're going to go through the uh, 10 chapters in First and Second Timothy over the summer. So we're going to spend the next several weeks uh, going through Timothy. I don't always do straight expository preaching through the Bible, but as I was looking about what I wanted to do for the summer, there's just so much great content in Timothy. It talks about being uh, in spiritual leadership and leading and direction, and I just think it's a great place for us to start today. And so I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to First Timothy chapter 1, and if you want to know what's coming up next week, you can study ahead by reading 1 Timothy chapter 2. You got it. You guys are so smart. Um, <laughs> it's going to be pretty easy. Uh, I may spend a little more time in places and then uh, go a little fa- faster at times and slower at other times, uh, but I want you to bear with me. Today, as we begin this series, I just want to give you a little bit of background uh, because First and Second Timothy is loaded with so much great information. Uh, this is a personal letter from Paul to Timothy. Timothy was more than just a church leader. In fact, we find out that he was like a son. He was his son in the faith. And so uh, Paul cared for him. He taught him. He mentored him. He gave him direction. And then Timothy learned from Paul and served in his ministry teams. And we see that in Acts chapter 19 uh, and in Acts chapter 20 where he was sent out and served for Paul. Timothy then became the lead pastor of the church of Ephesus that was started by Paul in Acts chapter 19, picking up where John the Baptist and his followers uh, had, had gone. And Timothy was, the, was in the leading si- uh, city in Asia. Uh, it was one of the fastest growing cities and areas, and the church grew to over 50,000 people. That's quite a megachurch before megachurches were possible. In fact, they had little ecclesias, and he would go from place to place and area to area and preach and teach to all of them. In fact, this church most likely planted the six churches that you find in Asia in the book of Revelations. So it's an extraordinary thing, and it's an extraordinary gifting as he imparted from one generation to the next and then went out and, and, and just exceeded and, and grew. And so we start here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, And he says this, this is a letter from Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace and mercy. So here's the first thing I would say. Who has God put in your life? To men, to, for you to mentor. I really have said, I've said this pretty much all my ministry, but I believe every believer, every follower of Christ really should have three types of people in their life. Everybody needs a Paul in their life. Someone needs someone that's mentoring them, that's directing them, that's further along in the faith than they are, that can show them where to go. And then everyone needs to be mentoring someone. And so I believe there should be someone in your life that you're bringing up. In fact, if you serve God all your life and you don't have anybody you're mentoring in, I'll tell you what, you're missing out on what the Bible calls a true discipleship. We, we've kind of modernized it, and there's nothing wrong with modernizing it to the point that we believe that, that, that uh, life groups or Sunday school classes, you know, Bible study groups are a discipleship program. But in the Bible, the best discipleship programs were people who were 
older, mature in the faith, longer serving in the faith, that would take on new converts, newer people in the faith, or younger in the faith, and would mentor them along in their faith. It was just something they did normal. And of course, the third person, I believe, is someone needs a Jonathan, someone who's right in the same area they are going, like David and Jonathan's friendship. And that's a sermon for another day, but it, it's someone who's going through the same thing and understands your struggles. But everybody needs these. So my question to you is, who has God put in your life for you to mentor? And who is your son or daughter in the faith? Who is that person that you are bringing up in the faith? It's kind of a lost art, but it's something that's so biblical that I think that, that we should restructure ourselves and, and reorganize ourselves to understand this. As we're growing up in the faith, everyone has something they can learn and, or, or they can teach someone that's below them. You know, if you've been on your job for two weeks and someone's just starting today, I bet you have at least two weeks of knowledge to teach somebody. But then everybody needs someone to mentor them. So everyone should submit themselves under somebody else's authority to grow in their faith. So we have this dynamics that's brought out. So who are you raising up? Who are you mentoring in the faith? Because the mark of a true, or a true maturity in the faith is when we reproduce ourselves. Are we reproducing ourselves in the faith? He goes on in verse 3 and he says, When I left Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus to stop uh, those who were teaching uh, is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live life of the faith in God. This thing could have been written for last year, Randy. <laughs> How many people do we know that get caught up in meaningless speculations and meaningless uh, uh, things that they read? In fact, my greatest concern and my greatest frustrations is that we treat knowledge that we read online as, as the same degree and the same um, integrity as we do the written word of God. In fact, a lot of us, we will swear by something that we read online as much as we would swear on the Bible. We have as much faith in things that we've read, believe, and, system, and, and the problem is, is we have a generation that's not buying into some of the things as uh, politically misleading or something that's not even as uh, uh, medical misleading as some of the things maybe we're reading now, but we have people that are biblically believing in their faith and things that are so contrary to the word of God because someone posted something really cool online, they're like, oh my gosh, that's what I believe. That, that's, that's the way I felt all my life, and now it's been revealed in this great revelation, and it's not a revelation. In fact, it's a lie of the enemy that's coded with a little bit of Scripture enough to sound right, but it's not. So what do you do when you have these things? And so the very first thing we've got to understand is what we believe determines how we behave. What you believe determines how you act, how you react, how you behave, how you live out what you do. What you believe means everything. What you believe determines what or how we behave. We need to be careful, first of all, of who we listen to. We need to be careful of what we listen to. And we need to be careful of what we watch. Remember that little song? Maybe we need to sing that in our worship song. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. <laughs> be careful, little eyes, what you see. You know, be careful, little mouth, what you say. 
Why? Because the Father really is looking above, <laughs> down in love, and he's hearing some of, the things he's, and some of the things we're doing and saying, and he's like, what is wrong with them? <laughs> you see, the Bible is our guidebook for living, not Google, not Facebook, not Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram. <laughs> the Bible is our guidebook for living. It's the Bible that is the authority. And so my problem is, is that when people say, I'll research it, what they mean is I'll Google it. And, and, and let me just tell you, that is not true research. That's why we need real men, real women that are mentoring one another. We need real people in the faith that aren't afraid to be asked tough questions. And there is a generation rising up right now that aren't afraid to ask tough questions. The problem is we feel so unprepared that we don't answer and we back away from questions. Here, never be afraid to say, let me find out. I think we're so afraid to let me find out that we just start spewing, making up stuff. Don't make up stuff because they're going to find out if you're telling the truth. There's something so powerful. We need to know what we believe and we need to be willing to find it when we're not sure. In fact, that's where a mentor in our life comes in play. You don't know how many times where I'll get into a complicated scripture and I want to know how to simplify it. And I'll, I'll call uh, three or four guys that are further along in, in, in the ministry and in studying than I am. And I'll just, I'll just feed off of them and we'll talk to one another and we'll hammer it out. Why? Because I want to know what I'm saying and I want to be able to say it in such a simplistic way that everybody understands it. I don't want to sound overly educated and make people just think how smart Pastor Brian is. I want to make it so simple that, that every Everyone, even a five-year-old can understand it. There is no value in looking smart all the time. <laughs> There's just no value. I, I used to have this preacher. He was wonderful to listen to. Couldn't understand half the things he said because he used such big, great big words. And, uh, and I remember the kid just thinking, wow, I want to sound so smart. But the older I get, the more I realized what good is that if everybody doesn't understand? Jesus did such a great job. He would take complex things that were written, and he would tear par parables so that everybody could understand it. He said, let me just simplify. Here's a story. There were two men walking along on the road. He would tell a story. There was this sower, seed and sower, and he would talk about that. He said, let me tell you a story uh, about your neighbor. And he starts telling a story about a man who's walking along the road and how he gets mugged and he would just simplify everything to make it so understandable. Make sure that we have people in our life that can help us understand. See, the devil can deceive us and cause us to act upon lies and misleading information. So we want to be faithful to what? The written word of God. It is so important that we as people of faith, people, believers in Christ, are so faithful that we understand that we believe what the written word of God, that we meditated on it day and night. In fact, it's hard to be faithful to the written word of God when we spend so little time in it. And, and we have our excuses. We're so distracted. We're so busy. We're so, life so, so hectic, so busy, so this. I've got this to do. I've got that to do. But it's amazing what people can do when they want to find time. And, 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 and let, me just, let me just say out of, out of the love of my heart, this is not meant, it's not meant for me to want to pound people over the head because that's not what I enjoy, not what I love. I pray that this is convicted for everybody. It's convicted for me. As I'm reading, I'm like, God, don't, don't let me be so distracted by things 
to do, things to watch, the people to go, go visit, that I miss the very point. In fact, you can be so busy with the ministry that you forget the God of the ministry. <laughs> Mary and Martha were, were, were both, uh, you know, trying to do their best to serve the Lord. Martha just had one idea of it, and Mary had another different. I never want to be so distracted by the work of the Lord, I forget to worship the God who blessed me and who gave me and who's there for me. I never want to miss the opportunity to say, God, what do you want to teach me in this moment? He goes on in verse 5, and he says this, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. And boy, don't we believe that. <laughs> some, people, some people get started, you're like, are you sure you're saved? <laughs> you sound so mean. <laughs> Do you love anybody? <laughs> Here's the thing. They says, Do everything, filled with love, pure heart, clear conscience, and a genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things and spent their time in meaningless discussions. My fear, and I'll just stop right there before I get to the next point, is, is my worry is that we are so distracted with meaningless discussions, meaningless arguments that have no eternal value, that, that we are distracted from the mission that God has put on us. Do you know that he's not willing that any soul should perish, but that all would come to redemption? He could care less about what you think about masks. He could care less about what you think about vaccinations. He could care less about what you think about government takeover and non-government takeover. What he cares about is the condition of our soul and about the condition of your neighbor's soul and the condition of their soul and the next soul. That's what he cares about. Don't get caught up in meaningless discussions. It's a distraction. It's a complete distraction. <laughs> Pastor, you just don't understand. They're going to take... There's people in other countries that have got their freedom taken away. We are very blessed. Be more concerned about souls. Then you can concern yourself with these other things. If we were as concerned about winning souls as we were winning arguments, my goodness, what would we be doing? There's got to be something to this. I, I, I'm so tired of being distracted. Do I want my rights taken? Of course not. But that is not my main goal in life. My main goal in life is not to make sure you have religious, uh, uh, not religious, but that you have uh, American freedom. And I'm thankful for it. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. My goal in life is that none would perish because that's God's goal. I'm more concerned about the condition of your soul than the condition of your comfort. I know what you're thinking. Everybody else at the lake, we came to church for this, thanks. <laughs> Should have gone to the lake when I was invited, but <laughs> I get it. I, I get it. I care about things in, 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 as an American. I really do. But as people of faith, there are things that should come before that, and everything else should be secondary. It's not that it shouldn't matter, it's that it shouldn't be primary. First things first, other things second, and then everything else. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. That's the problem with online speech. 
people speak with such confidence that you're just like, wow, I never knew that. Well, you didn't know it because it's not true. Great video editing, great lighting, put a person in there, let them speak with such confidence and authority, you're like, this has got to be true. And we hit share, 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 share. I'm trying not to spend too much time here. Here's, here's what we know. The New Testament life of faith can be summed up in one thing, not 10 things, not 600 Levitical laws, one thing. John 13, 34, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Here it is. Love is the result of an obedient heart. I can love you because I'm being obedient and faithful to his word. I'm being faithful to what he's asked me to do. I'm being faithful and obedient to what he's asked me. So, so it's easy to love when I've been obedient. The, to be faithful, we must pursue God with what? A pure heart is what it said. That means guard and protect our heart from sin and keep a clear conscience. Our conscience is our evil detector, our sin deflector, and our mistake protector. It's that conscience. It's, that, it's the, the Lord, I believe, sends the Holy Spirit to move upon our conscience. They cause us to realize the problem is when our conscience gets seared and we no longer feel guilty about the things we used to feel guilty about. That's why Paul later on comes on and says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Because in the end, it's the written word of God that is our standard by which we live. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm writing to a young leader, this is a great way to start a letter. To say, stop making excuses. Don't listen to every religious thing. In fact, you need to put an end to all this false communication going back and forth in these arguments. And Paul, as a great mentor, as a great person of authority, speaks into Timothy's life and tells him, you have got to realize, you have got to stop all this stuff, stop all this ridiculousness, and let people be guided. Let the Holy Spirit begin to convict them. Trust the inward witness and leading of the Holy Spirit. And then he does this, and he talks about the law. And in verse 8, he says this, we know that the law is good when used correctly. The law is good when used correctly. The law is not good when I use it to try to beat up everybody around me using, and, and control you. The law is not good when I say, hey, uh, how can I control the people around me and let me just tell you and use the scriptures for my good. Says for we for the law was not intended for people who are doing what's right. It is for the people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred, who defile what is holy, who kill their father or their mother and commit murders. The law is for the people who are sexually immoral, or people who practice homosexuality, or the people slave traders and liars, uh, promise breakers, or do who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to them by our blessed God. Here's what the law, the law reveals our sinful nature. The law is to do that, it reveals our sinful nature. The law is to show us how sinful we are. The law doesn't save anybody. It never has. In fact, Romans 3.20 says, For no one can ever be made right by God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law reveals sinfulness to us. It tells me 
I've got sin in my life. You think you're, you think you're all this? You think you're so great? Let me show you. The law shows us our sin, but it doesn't make you right. Keeping a bunch of rules and regulations is not what keeps you right. It shows you how sinful you are, and our, it also shows us this, our dependence on the need for God. Romans 5.20 says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. And thank goodness, thank goodness it did. Thank goodness that his grace becomes more and more abundant and covers us. Because we're in need of a Savior full of grace. We're in need of it. The law establishes what's right and what's wrong. It exposes the problem of sin, and it exposes the answer, which is Jesus Christ. The law defines sin, but is unable to make us sinless. Grace is what makes us sinless. Ephesians says it's by grace you are saved, and not by works. You can't do anything to earn it. So the law shows you your sin. But it's grace, that, that, that it's that forgiveness and grace. It's that, that, God, I don't deserve it. I've done nothing to deserve this. And his grace and his forgiveness overcomes me and, and, and causes me to be saved. It's, it's on that. And thank goodness, where would the thief on the cross be if he had not had grace to be able to reach out and say, God, he didn't have no chance to do any law. He didn't have any chance to earn anything. All he had that opportunity was to reach out and say, remember me. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, it says, I Thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work, and he considered me trustworthy, in other words, faithful, and appointed me to serve. Faithfulness is the prerequisite for promotion. Here's what I want to know. I want to know that when, when he comes, how many of us are going to be found Faithful. If you're taking notes, you just should write this down. The greeting into heaven is going to be well done, good, and faithful servant. I believe that one of the greatest things we've lost is our ability to be faithful. We see that, first of all, God gave him the strength and empowered him. Because, you know, listen, God doesn't uh, call the equip. He equips the call. He empowers us to do what he's called us to do. And then second, Paul showed him that he was trustworthy of that strength and empowerment to do what he was called. So he showed himself faithful with what God has given him. And I just wish that more of us would rise up and be found faithful. What if God was only as faithful to us as we were to him? Jesus taught... Be faithful over a few things, and then I'll make you ruler over many. We want to be faithful some of the times and when it's convenient, and then when God doesn't show up and he's not faithful to us, we're like, God, where are you in all this? Aren't you glad that he's always faithful? I believe he's coming back for a people that are going to be found faithful and trustworthy. Everyone wants promotion. Everyone wants to grow. Everyone, but the requirement for leadership is to be faithful. You have to be faithful. A lot of people are qualified, but they haven't found themselves or, or applied themselves to be what? Faithful and trustworthy. Character trumps talent every time. It's our character. It's being faithful. It's being there when, it, when, it, when no one else is. It's, it's showing yourself uh, accountable and being ready to serve when nobody else will. It's being faithful. You may have the qualifications, the degree, and the skills, but are you trustworthy? Are you faithful? 
Let me ask you this. Is your word good? If you tell somebody you're going to be there, do you show up? <laughs> it's okay. Do you ever tell somebody you're going to be something or do something or be there when they need you, when they call? You just skip it. Do you show up when you say you will? Do you, do you give generously? Are you faithful in your finances? In fact, let me just be blunt right here. How many of us would put someone in leadership if they weren't faithful with supporting their church financially? The Bible says, would a man rob God, yet you robbed me in tithe and offering? Why would we put anyone in leadership that's not faithful in their giving? This is not a sermon on tithe, but <laughs> I think there's an importance about us just being faithful. Being faithful in every aspect of our life. Because you know what we know? Your money follows your heart. Some of you, your money says, Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. <laughs> Some of it says Walmart. A lot of people want to do big things for God, but they're not willing to be faithful with the small things to the kingdom of God. Verse 13, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my, in my insolence, I persecuted his people but God had mercy on me. I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and the love that, that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. God had mercy on me. This is the first part of verse 16. God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Even the worst of us. Even the one of those of us who feel like there's no hope, there's hope. The message says it this way. I'm proof. Public sinner number one of someone who could have never made it apart from sheer mercy. You know what? Nobody in here is perfect. None of us can make it without the grace and mercy of God. None of us. None of us can be good enough. None of us can work hard enough. None of us can do this on our own. We, listen, we, we, we are all sinners that are saved by his miraculous grace. The failures of our past can't, can never limit the potential of our future faith. What I've done in the past, I mean, here's Paul. I blaspheme the name of Christ. I kill people in his name. I'm the chief of all sinners. But yet, even in that, thank goodness. I love this message. I'm proof, public sinner number one, of someone who would have never made it apart from sheer mercy. God can and will use the worst of sinners for his purpose if we let him. The enemy tells you you're disqualified. In fact, many of you, I've talked to you on the side and you said, Pastor Brian, God could never use me. You don't know all the things I've done. You don't know all the things I did last week. 
We disqualify ourselves and allow the enemy in our mind to disqualify us before we even try. God says, I have removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. You need to write this down. I'll put it up there. The moment you let go of who you used to be, you can become who God has declared you to be. you got to let go of it. I am no longer that person in the past. I've become new. I'm a new creature with a new feature. Old things are passed away. I think differently now. My mind's differently. I act differently. I'm not the person I was. Thank goodness. You know, it's easy to see how we've grown. Many of us would look back 10 years ago. We would see someone who made a lot of mistakes. We've grown a lot in 10 years. Even someone in high school could look at junior high them and say, boy, I've grown a lot since then. Even junior high kid can look back at the kid in elementary and say, boy, I've grown a lot since then. Do you know you've grown a lot? You may not be where you want to be, but God's growing you. You can look back and say, I've come a long, long way, and he's still bringing me further. God can use me because I'm growing in my faith, and I'm becoming what he wants me to be. I've got to let go of the past because I made a lot of mistakes, but I'm not that person anymore. I'm not that person anymore. I'm somebody new. Listen, God wants to use a new generation to reach this lost and dying world. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it more than once so you understand it. Sin doesn't stop most Christians. It's the recovery from sin that does. The act of sin doesn't stop most people. It's the recovery part. We have trouble getting out of our mind. It's the recovery of the mental person who we think we are. It's who we perceive ourselves to be. We can't overcome. It's not, it's not the mistake that we made we can't overcome. From. It's, the, the, it's coming out of the mindset that that's not who we are anymore. It's the recovery process. We make a financial decision, and, and, and there's people who've had to file bankruptcy, and mentally you think, I'm never going to do anything with my life. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to get a loan again because I've messed up so bad. We can't ever come out of that spiritually. We do the same thing. We get into our minds that, we're never gonna do, do, that, that nothing's ever going to get better. Nothing's ever going to clear up, and we think, I'm never going to be better. I'm never going to be good enough for anything. We've got to start believing that if God has called us, God will use us. If God is guiding, God will provide. God is leading you and he's directing you. He goes on in the next part of verse 16. He says, then others will realize that they too can believe him and receive eternal life. If you can overcome, someone's going to look at you and say, if they can do it, I can do it. If they can do it, I can do it. If they can overcome what they've been involved in, I can overcome that. If they can overcome their sin, I can overcome my sin. If they can overcome their financial distress, I can do that. If they can overcome that sickness and have a miracle, I can have a miracle. If they can come out of divorce, I can come out of divorce. If they can do this, God can do this for them, they can do it for me. Black. He goes on to say, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Our faith should become contagious. When people can see that you make it, they're going to think, I can make it. Your faith is contagious. What you overcome, other people will overcome. Stop believing the lie of the enemy. 
Stop believing what isn't true. I heard a great story. <laughs> Just this past week, I'm going to tell it now. The names will be changed <laughs> to protect the innocent. There was a young man who didn't like the way his sister was acting. And so he decided, I'm going to get her back. So he remembered from a time where he was searching on YouTube that on YouTube you could get a fake police to call in. And so he acted like he called 911, and they said, 911, what is your emergency? And he said, yeah, I have a misbehaving child. So I understand you have a misbehaving child. Yes, I do. And her name is so such and such. And again, I'm trying not to. Anyway. The little girl hears what he's doing. Hears that her brother's calling the police on her. She freaks out and starts crying. Goes to her mom, who's trying to talk on the phone, who shuts herself in the car because she's on the phone. And she's going belligerent. She's crying even harder. Ah! For 45 minutes. All because she believed the lie that her brother told her. <laughs> Here's the problem. We are so quick to believe the lie of the enemy. And we will lose our mind over a lie. Instead of finding out and believing the truth that God and who he said he is. The devil will make you think that everybody's after you and coming to get you and that you're never going to survive. But God says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if you'll trust my word and you'll trust what I said over you and what I spoke over your life, you're going to make it. You can believe it. Your healing's on the way. Your, your, I'm telling you, your blessing's on the way. Your, your ministry's on the way. Don't give up. Don't forget it. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep going. Stop believing what the enemy says about you you don't be afraid to share your testimony what you've seen what you've heard and what you've witnessed God do verse 18 he goes on and says Timothy my son here are my instructions for you based upon the prophetic words spoken about you earlier may they help you fight well in the Lord's battle some of you God has spoke a prophetic word over your life And they've been given to you to help you fight in the Lord's battle. But so many times you get discouraged before the battle ever starts. And you forget that God spoke a word over you. But sometimes you got to reach back a little bit and say, God, I remember when. I remember when I was alone and I came up to the church by myself and I asked the pastor if I'd come in and pray and I found myself a spot to pray and I prayed and you spoke a word to me in my prayer time and I'm holding on to that word and even though the devil says it's not going to happen, I'm believing healing's coming. I'm believing salvation's coming. I'm believing deliverance is coming. All because I'm not giving up on what you said. Believe and, 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 and listen, use that word. Use that prophetic word to remind yourself, to encourage yourself and fight in the Lord's battle. Verse 19, he says, cling to your faith. In other words, the embodiment of what you believe in the scriptures say, in Christ. And keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Woo! Keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience. And as a result, their faith is shipwrecked. How many of you feel like your faith has been shipwrecked? 
Something happened this past year. Something happened in the last few months. Something happened yesterday that caused you to lose your faith. Your faith has been shipwrecked. And you're like, God, I don't know where I can go from here. God, I don't know what I can trust from here. God, I don't know what the next step is. God, I am desperate and I'm falling apart. Your faith is shipwrecked because you've given up. Listen, the devil didn't do it to you. You did it to yourself. You believed the wrong word. To be faithful, we must have a genuine faith, not an imitation faith. Some of us are not overcoming because we don't have a real faith. We have an imitation faith. Imitation faith will have you look at a pastor when he falls, you fall. Real faith will cause you to trust in a Savior. And when everybody else falls, you're going to stand. Trusting in his word. I'm trusting in what he said. Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight a good fight for true faith. Fight, cling, firmly grip your faith. Here's what I want you to know as we close. There is a battle for your soul. There's a battle for the soul of your family. And it's been going on behind closed doors. There is a battle that's been going on, and you just are feeling the struggle. In fact, in your mind, you feel the turmoil, and you don't know how to stop it. There is a spiritual struggle. The powers of darkness are coming to steal, kill, and destroy. They're constantly pulling at you. And, and, and I believe this is our word for it. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 to 12. It says, put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand against all the struggles of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authority of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Your battle is not with your mom. It's not with your dad. It's not with your kids. The battle's not with your spouse. Well, you don't know what they did. It doesn't matter. Do you believe there's anything that God can't do? Do you believe there's anything that God can't speak a word over and heal? Do you believe there's anything that can stop the word of God? Where are you going to put your trust? At the end of this service, when you go home and you begin to cook burgers and hot dogs and you begin to celebrate the weekend with your family, the, trust, the, the question is, what are you going to trust in? I want my hope to be built upon Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I want to trust in his word. I want my faith to be firm, on a firm foundation. I don't want to be tossed about by the oceans and around me of turmoil. I don't want my faith to be shipwrecked. I want to trust in Christ, the solid ground. I want to trust in him alone. I don't want to trust in everything else that falls apart. So I'm going to ask you to stand today. And I believe this, there's people watching on live stream today. You're not here 
because you're fighting a battle and emotionally you just couldn't get out of the house today. And God's speaking to you right there in your home. And I believe God is wanting to heal and deliver you and set you free, but you've got to trust him. Some of you need to go to the bedroom and kneel down. Some of you need to go find a place. Some of you need to grab your family around. I don't know. Whatever God's leading you to do. But in this room, I believe that God is wanting to encourage you, lift you up, raise you up again, have you put your faith back in him, trust in him. It's been a long time since some of you made your way to an old-fashioned altar. You've made the excuses and you said it's just so embarrassing. It's awkward. It's weird. It feels funny. But I want to know, is there anybody in this place that just doesn't care anymore? You just don't care. You, have, you are at the place that you are so desperate. And you're in need of a miracle so bad that you say in spite of everybody watching, Anybody looking, I don't care. I'm going to come find a place and I'm going to kneel at the altar. I'm going to kneel at these, these chairs, these, these front pews. I'm going to find a place to pray because I don't care anymore. If I have to lay my face on the floor today, all I want is I want just to get between me and have my eyes focused on Jesus. I don't want anything blocking my attention. I don't want anything stopping what God has for me. I want to know, is there anybody on this Memorial Day weekend that is so desperate that you're just saying, God, I need you. I need you to intervene. I need you to build me up. I'm breaking. On the inside, I'm falling apart. I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't know what else I'm going to do. Lord, I'm struggling today. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to come. Normally I pray and I give you a chance to think about it, but today I'm just going to say one, two, three, go. And if that's you, I don't want you to wait. If you got a kid you're praying for, a spouse you're praying for, you're praying for your family members, you're praying for yourself, your job, but you need God to intervene, don't think about it. You've had 45 minutes to think about it. If that's you, one, I want you to get ready. Two, I want you to just make the decision right now. You're fixing to step out. Three, I want you to come. These altars are open. I want you to find a place. Come right now. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Some of you grab a family member's hand by yourself. Come up with with somebody. Maybe y'all need to come together. You said, I'll go if you'll go. You need a miracle today. Listen, if you don't need a miracle, stay in your seat. But if you need a miracle, you need God to intervene, come now. Come find a place. Are you desperate today? Are you hungry today? Does your soul hunger? Are you thirsty? Do you need to be refilled today? This is your moment. Are you ready to touch heaven? Woo, they're going to come. They're going to sing throne room because that's just what I want them to do. That may be what they're already going to sing. But as they do, these altars are going to stay open. You can find your way. You can sit down and pray where you are. But today's your opportunity. We're going to touch heaven. You can be dismissed when you feel like it, but right now we're going to touch heaven. We're going to stick around a little while.